The summer after my sophomore year of college, I became friends with someone who, whose family owned a lake house. Now, this was a new experience for me because growing up, the closest thing my family uh, had to a lake was one of those blue plastic pools that you can buy at Kmart, and that was the extent of my watered childhood. We later upgraded to above-ground pool, but pool life and lake life are two very different kinds of life. And one of the, the biggest differences was this activity called tubing that I had never participated in before. Uh, and tubing quickly became one of my favorite activities that summer and continues to be so to this day. Some of you here uh, at encampment will pull people along in their tubes, sometimes a little too fast for my comfort. We won't name any names this morning, but you know who you are. But still, regardless, it's such a fun activity. And one of the things I learned that summer is that you have to pay attention to the other boats who are on the lake. Because the other boats on the lake will impact your boating experience and your tubing experience. Uh, And there's a particular word for this potential impact that that other boats on the water can have. We, We call it the wake of a boat. That the wake of a boat is basically uh, the ripple effect of the boat. And you have to, when you're on the water, pay attention to the other wakes of other boats because they can, if you don't pay attention, create quite a choppy, chaotic experience for you. But what's really crucial and key to becoming a good boater it is not just to be able to pay attention to the other boats and the wakes that they leave, but also to be aware that you also leave a wake. That you, the one who's navigating and driving that boat, is also leaving a wake in the water. And part of becoming a good boater is becoming aware that you leave a wake wherever you go in the water. Growing in awareness of that wake is what it means to kind of grow into becoming a better boater. And I would say that a similar principle holds true when it comes to the life of faith. That part of what it means to grow into a mature person in the image of Christ is becoming aware that you leave a wake wherever you go. That as a follower of Jesus, you leave a ripple effect in the way that you navigate the waters of life. And this self-awareness is one of the crucial key components of this last phase of the Believe Campaign series, where we're wrestling with this question, who am I becoming? Or to use the boat metaphor, what kind of wake am I leaving? The question is not if you will leave a wake. The question is what kind of wake will you leave? And so we've been looking at these fruits of the Spirit, this fruit of the Spirit, these different virtues and characteristics and traits of what it means to be a person shaped and transformed by the Spirit of God. And the hope and the aim of holding up these different traits and virtues each week is to hold up the the aim, the ideal for which we should strive. That these fruit of the Spirit, as we journey through it, isn't intended just to be a conversation piece. But it's intended, they're intended to be a conversion piece. We're, we're to be converted into people who leave a ripple effect. Who leave a wake of the fruit of the Spirit wherever we go. As we navigate the waters of life, 
the hope, the aim, the goal of Christians is to leave a ripple effect where people experience the fruit of the Spirit in our wake. Who am I becoming? What kind of wake am I leaving? And I think this is an especially important question for our virtue and trait this morning, our second to last in the series, that of gentleness. And I've particularly picked a passage in the book of James that I think gives us unique insight, not just into what gentleness is, but also into what gentleness is not. So let's hear these words of James in James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. In our passage this morning, James holds up for us these two paths that we can take with our life, these two wakes that we could leave. And the first, he says, is this path of godly wisdom, this this good path for us to take. And he describes this path of a good life, of good works, as, as a life where our good works will be done with gentleness born of wisdom. The first word that James uses to describe this first path is this word gentleness. It's a really important word. It's, it's a word that can be translated humility. It can be translated courtesy. It can be translated being considerate. James will later try to flesh out this picture of of the kind of person he's describing by clustering together all of these other words, words like peaceable, full of mercy, without partiality, willing to yield. All of these other words that he uses to describe this path of gentleness are words that keep in mind other people. Because James knows something that we should know It's not if we will leave a wake with our life, but what kind of wake will we leave? And what's really significant about this word is that James is not the only one to use it in the New Testament. This word for gentleness is going to get used ten more times throughout the New Testament. And James is not the only one to use this word. Peter uses this word when talking about how Christians should interact with outsiders. Paul uses this word when he talks about how Christians should interact with each other. But maybe most important of all is the person who uses the root form of this word first. And that is Jesus himself. That Jesus, in that great invitation he offers, hones in on this particular word. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and 
humble in heart. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Peter, Paul, and James all use this word because they know something that we should know this morning. And that is the way of gentleness is the way of Jesus. That when we walk the world, when we navigate the waters of this world with a spirit of gentleness, we are reflecting the very nature of who Jesus is. It's the way of humility. It's the way of courtesy. It's the way of being considerate. And when we live that out in the world, people are getting a glimpse who Jesus is. That's the path. That's the way. That's the kind of good works we're called to live. Good works done with gentleness, born of godly wisdom. And yet it's also important that we pay attention to the other path that James describes for us. The other option of the kind of wake that we can live with our life. Because it's in paying attention to the opposite path that we gain even more insight into what gentleness is and what gentleness is not. Immediately after James holds up this first ideal path for us, he immediately begins talking about a different way of life. And there's two key words that he uses to describe this way of life. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. James says there's this other way of life that we can take that's going to be filled with selfishness, envy, jealousy. He, he paints the picture of this person who is walking around in the world as if the world is only about them. And even when they interact with others, they're still ultimately focused on themselves. They still feel a spirit of envy and jealousy. That comparison and competition is still ultimately about them. And if you've ever been around a person like this, or if you've ever fallen victim to being this kind of person, then what James says next about the wake that this kind of person leaves will not surprise anyone at all. Because what James says is that people who walk through the life filled with selfish ambition and envy will leave this wake of chaos and disorder and wickedness. Imagine a boat moving through the water who is only concerned about where it's going. And if you've ever seen that kind of boat on a lake, then you know that the ripple effect around that kind of boat is quite choppy and chaotic. Or if you're not a boat person, imagine you're driving down the road and a car is in your rearview mirror and that car is driven by the most self-centered, selfish person ever to take the wheel you know you're going to get out of the way of that car because they're going to come through with aggressiveness with this violent spirit they're going to create chaos and disorder all around them they are like a bull in a china shop there is no hint of gentleness there is only selfishness and chaos and disorder there is no hint of being gentle. There, there is only a spirit of violence and aggression. And I intentionally use those words, violence and aggression, because these are these two traits, these two characteristics that have become quite normalized in our world. It's just a thing that we've accepted as a part of the world in which we live. 
And yet violence and aggression are not the way of Jesus. And most tragic of all is is when Christians try to make those traits and virtues characteristics of Jesus. But the way of Jesus is very different. It's not the way of violence and aggression. And sometimes it's easy to spot, right? Sometimes it's easy to spot that that violent, aggressive spirit. For example, we talk about working in cutthroat environments. And what happens when you end up in a cutthroat environment? You begin to behave in ways that are quite aggressive and violent. And I'm sure you could think of a lot of other examples of how we've normalized aggression and violence in our world. But sometimes it's a little more subtle. It's not as easy to spot. That's why we talk about the phrase passive-aggressive, which I think is why it's really interesting that the passage before this one, in James, he talks about how we use our words and how we use our speech. Because typically, our words and our speech are one of the most tempting ways for us to be passive-aggressive. It's that indirect barb that you send someone's way hoping to cut them down just a little bit. Cut them down. It's that quiet gossip that you whisper trying to tear other people down. It's the false front of brutally honest that you use really just to inflict hurt on another person. And now we live in a world where it's not just that we speak our words, but we also type our words and we post our words. And our words that we type and we post can also carry a spirit of violence and aggression. And it's not the way of Jesus. It's this false path. It's this path of selfishness. It's this path of envy. It's this path of chaos and disorder all around us. And it's this path fundamentally that's a self-centered path, not an other-centered path. And that's the key distinction that I want us to see in this passage in James this morning. This, This brief but subtle but important distinction that James makes. Because when James talks about the path of gentleness, all of the other words that he uses are words that have other people in mind. Mercy, not showing partiality, willing to yield. Implied in all of these other words is the sense of there's another person involved in this person's life. But then when he describes this false path, this false wisdom, all of the words that he uses are ultimately about that person. Selfish ambition, bitter Envy. They see everyone else's competition, which means it's ultimately a story about them. And that's the distinction. That's the contrast that I want us to see this morning because in it we see the opposite of gentleness, but we also see the heart of gentleness. I would say it this way. The opposite of gentleness is self-centeredness. The heart of gentleness is other-centeredness. The opposite of gentleness is self-centeredness. But the heart of gentleness is other-centeredness. You cannot be gentleness. Gentleness cannot happen when you are completely consumed with yourself. 
Gentleness cannot happen when you're only thinking about yourself and you have no time, space, energy, or effort to think about others. Gentleness cannot happen when you walk through the world seeing everyone else as a source of envy and jealousy and competition and comparison. Gentleness cannot happen. But gentleness can begin to happen. It it can begin to happen when we're willing to consider the perspective of another person. Gentleness can begin to happen when we take a moment, a space, a second to put ourselves in another's shoes. Gentleness can begin to happen when we begin to keep other people in full view and not just ourselves. When we begin to do that, when we begin to consider others, that is when we can begin to become gentle This past week, I was visiting a member of this congregation at the hospital. And while I sat with them and talked with them, they were catching me up on the events that had brought them into the hospital that week. And they caught me up, but soon after they caught me up on the medical developments in their life, they then began to talk about other people and how those other people had treated them. And they talked about two people. The first person they talked about was their boss at work. That their boss had come to the hospital to visit them and to assure them that even while they were away from work, they were going to do whatever possible to support them, encourage them, and let them know that their job was secure. This very powerful boss went to the hospital to show this individual kindness and compassion and gentleness. And the second person they talked about was one of their nurses. And they talked about this particular nurse who was very different than all the other nurses that they had experienced because this nurse had treated this individual with particular gentleness and kindness and compassion. And all this person could talk about was how meaningful it was for these two people in positions of power to treat them the way that they did. And I couldn't help but think about that conversation as I was writing the sermon this week. Because because I think what this person was giving witness to is a good reminder to us this morning that, that we, when we choose the way of gentleness, choose to treat people in a certain way. That we choose to use our power and our influence and our leverage in particular ways. Gentleness is a choice that keeps the other in mind. Gentleness takes a lot of strength and courage and power. It's choosing to use your power in a certain way. This is why I think we often misunderstand gentleness and we mistake it for weakness or we mistake it for being ineffective. But gentleness, to choose to be gentle takes real strength and power and groundedness in your connection with God to choose to treat people in a certain way. To choose to treat people with gentleness born of wisdom. Because as this individual who was laying in this hospital bed reminded me, People remember how you treat them. People are impacted by the ripple effect that you leave, by the wake that you leave with your life. 
So that's the question I want us to consider as we close. Who am I becoming? What kind of wake am I leaving? Will I choose to leave a wake of gentleness or a very different kind of wake? Because the choice is up to each of us this week. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that in Jesus we see a Savior who is gentle and humble in heart. It's a Savior that we all need when we stop and pause and reflect on all of the ways that we stray and get off track. I pray this morning that we would be realigned by the Spirit of Jesus to be men and women who walk the world as the mercy of you, who walk this world as the forgiveness of you, who walk this world as the kindness and compassion and gentleness that we see in you in the person of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.